This is the Redbird Report. Welcome in on 101 ESPN. I'm Dan McLaughlin. A reminder that Cardinals baseball is coming up on Fox Sports Midwest tonight. It is Danny Duffy going for the Kansas City Royals and for the St. Louis Cardinals. It'll be Carlos Martinez as the Cardinals are wrapping up a very long road trip. A road trip that began in Milwaukee. The Cardinals dropped three of five in Milwaukee. They won four of five in Pittsburgh and trying to take two of three against the Kansas City Royals. Last night, an outstanding performance in particular from the pitching side and defensive side with Austin Gomber on the mound. Yeah, man, he was incredible tonight. And uh, Harrison, too. Goldie made some play. I mean, all the guys. Tommy at short, Colton at second. I mean... Kind of, I mean, that's exactly what you want as a starting pitcher, man. As guys making plays behind you. Um, pretty sure we got the best defensive baseball, and that was on full display tonight. Martinez wanted his bat in the lineup, playing out of position, but big difference. Shallow center, Bader, diving catch. Oh, what a play. Harrison Bader in center field. Robs Bubba Starling. Oh, what a play by Bader. Diving stop. Carpenter gets up. Oh, what a play. Matt Carpenter. The diving stop. The third base line and a strike to Goldschmidt to rob Salvador Perez. You know, it felt like I was going to get a lot of action um, and certainly did. Probably, I mean, I don't I, I don't know the, the numbers, but I got to figure that was probably the most action I've ever gotten in my career defensively. Uh, you know, I think, um, well, no, he had everything working. He's ahead in the count, and he was changing speed. The changeup was really good. So once you're getting guys in between, you're getting guys out front, so you got more tendency for guys to roll over a little bit. So um, he pitched very, very well. The offense was provided by Dylan Carlson. It was a home run away from the cycle. The 2-0 pitch to Dylan Carlson. And he gets it and drives it in the gap in right center. One run is in. Here comes another. That's Fowler. And Dylan Carlson brings in two. Two to nothing. Cardinals on a double by Dylan Carlson. Yesterday on Ribs and BK, one of their guests, Cardinals Hall of Famer Jim Edmonds. They asked him about Dylan Carlson. He reminds me of me a little bit, but bigger. He's one of those guys that you know from playing that you know, maybe too big, maybe too slow, maybe too this, maybe too that, but he's always in the right place. And he's always, and all of a sudden, he's your team captain. You know, it's like one of those guys, he just, he's a little bit smarter than everyone else. He can run smoother than everyone else. He's got a really good arm. And you're like, oh, he can play center field. And that's kind of what happened to me. Um, and that's the kind of player he is. And you're going to wake up one day and, like, he's the stud. So that doesn't surprise me he made that catch. And, he definitely can play center field. It was another game yesterday in which the Cardinals went just 3-for-13 with runners in scoring position. Getting on base, not a problem for the Cardinals. It's getting them in. So I think they're doing a great job of getting pitches to hit. Um, they're not hitting the pitches they should hit. But first of all, taking pitches and learning how to walk is a fine line too because now you're up there. Is he trying to walk me? Is he pitching around me? Is he doing this? And so you get a little defensive at times. So, A, that's a, that can be an issue for players that don't really understand um, that part of the game. And then, B, um, that's great. They're getting on base, but then when they get into uh, a situation when they need to hit, they're taking pitches, and they're taking a lot of pitches. And everyone says, oh, we just need to get the big hit. It's not even the big hit. It's the sacrifice fly that they got the other night from um, a guy like Dylan Carlson, where he, I think it was him. He hit the ball down the right field line. Yes, it was. Ball, open a run, and then move the runner from second to third don't need the big hit. They just need to score the guy from third with less than two outs. 
and they haven't been very good at it. I think in the 40% area this year. After tonight, it's a five-game series with Milwaukee coming to town. The division could be on the line. Playoff positioning could be on the line for John Mosellock in St. Louis. You know, I do think uh, having that sort of competitive excitement for our fan base and, and for, you know, trying to get to that that next step in this season and, and meaning postseason, I think would be really cool. But, you know, right now it's like, even even like thinking about tomorrow is, is again, like not where my head is. It's like, you know, we got to win today and, and, and hopefully we have a successful day and um, we come out of it healthy and then we can start thinking about tomorrow and then let alone the weekend. But, you know, it, I'd be, I'd be lying if I didn't know what we're doing this weekend. Right. Like I understand who we're playing and I understand where we are in the standings. So, um, it certainly does matter. The Cardinals start play tonight, three and a half back of Chicago. They are a game in front of both Cincinnati and Milwaukee. If the season, the postseason, would start today, the L.A. Dodgers and the Milwaukee Brewers would be the one and the eight seed. The St. Louis Cardinals would take on the San Diego Padres. You would have the Miami Marlins and the Chicago Cubs. And Cincinnati would take on Brian Snicker and the Atlanta Braves. Strike one to Alfaro, line drive, caught by Freddie Freeman. It's a three-peat for the Braves. They're the champions of the East in 2020. This is something else, I'm telling you. You know, just from the get-go, I think maybe the three months off probably wore us out more than we thought. And then just kind of overcome everything we did, losing our entire rotation pretty much. And... Um, you know, the injuries, uh, everything. You know, it's a, everybody's going through all that stuff. I'm proud of the guys. I mean, they did a great job. They followed the protocols. Um, Alex talked a lot early on about, you know, it may be the, the healthiest group is the one that's left standing. You know? Over in the American League, Tampa Bay would be the number one seed, and they would play host to Toronto. The New York Yankees and the Minnesota Twins, yet again, the five and the four seed. Houston and Oakland, and Houston got bad news this week. Justin Verlander done for the year. Wanted to hop on here and share some news that in my simulated game a couple days ago, I felt something in my elbow. Um, and after looking at the MRI and conversing with some of the best doctors in the world, we've determined that Tommy John surgery is my best option. Obviously, this is not good news. You know, however, I'm going to handle this the only way that I know how. Uh, I'm going to be optimistic. Uh, I'm going to put my head down, work hard, attack this rehab, and hopefully come out the other side better for it. Um, I truly believe that everything happens for a reason. And although 2020 has uh, has sucked, you know, hopefully uh, when this rehab process is all said and done, this will allow me to charge through the end of my career and be healthy as long as I want and pitch as long as I want and accomplish some of the goals that I want in my career. The Chicago White Sox would be the number two seed, and they get to play the Cleveland Indians. All right, here we go. Two on, two out, two, two, pitch to Ramirez. Hit in the air, deep right center, angles back. He's out of room. It's out of here. The Indians walk off the White Sox. A stutter here in Cleveland. Jose Ramirez driving the Indians into October. Coming up on the program tonight is Cardinal Baseball is coming up on Fox Sports Midwest at the top of the hour. We hope you tune in. You're going to hear from Mark Saxon. You'll hear from Joel Goldberg and Rex Hudler of Fox Sports Kansas City as they'll talk about the Kansas City Royals. This is the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. Redbird Report rolls on. I'm Dan McLaughlin of 101 ESPN. Cardinals baseball coming up tonight on Fox Sports Midwest. Carlos Martinez and Danny Duffy. 
Let's dive more into the Kansas City Royals. Yesterday on 101, I'm filling in for Michelle Smallman with Randy Carricker on the morning show. And one of our guests was Rex Hudler. And we had Rex on, the former Cardinal who does the broadcast for the Royals. We dove into what this season has been like for Kansas City. They were officially eliminated from postseason play yesterday, and we got into the job that former Cardinal manager Mike Matheny is doing now with the Royals. Tell us about uh, what kind of year it's been for Mike Matheny and the Royals. Uh, it's been a, a another losing season, but yet a rebuild season. But generally speaking, what kind of year it's been for the Royals? Well, you know, Dan, it, it, Mike Matheny, to have a veteran manager that's had a lot of success already in the game, uh, come and join your team. A guy who's energetic, who's analytic, who's very uh, vocal. Now I know that there was that there they, there was reported there was some some issues with him, but as there is with every manager, it's impossible to make everybody happy. But what he did in his year or so off, in his two years off before Dayton Moore hired him, he worked uh, on analytics. Uh, he went and got schooled by a media, a guru, a guy who helped him with different things. So here's a manager who obviously was not done in his career with managing, knew that he would get another opportunity. And the fact that he worked on some of the things that he he lacked some of the skills, he is a, a much improved manager. And watching these guys play with energy every night, uh, you know, the rebuild process is working pretty good. That We've got a couple of chips. But the main thing that Matheny's done is he's brought a sense of urgency to every game. No matter where we are in the standings, baseball is, is a game that you're, you're fortunate enough to be here at major league level and that you're fortunate enough to, to be able to play. So we're going to give every bit of effort to not only us and our organization, but for the fan base. And that's exactly how you play. You play baseball like it could be your last. So this is what we're seeing. Now, the talent, as far as uh, the, the, the hitters go, we're maybe be two or maybe a couple bats shy. But what's happened this summer with the Royals in the short 60-game season is they revamped their bullpen. Okay, The last two seasons, the 100 lost seasons, uh, they had their bullpen, they didn't, have, they didn't have any pieces. They had a bunch of young guys. They weren't sure what they were going to do. They were trying to develop. And this year, there's been four guys emerge in that bullpen. And one of them is world champion Greg Holland. Holland is back to his championship self. I think he gave up a hit last night. Um, but that's the first hit he's given up in a long time. You guys had him, and he wasn't quite healed yet. But Holland is back to form. And, and, the, and Mike Matheny says, I owe you, Greg. You know, I, I put you in tough situation in St. Louis uh, when you weren't prepared for that. And you, and you, got, you got mopped up there. And then Holland goes, no, I owe you. So this is what's good is, is there's a good relationship developed between Mike Matheny. Uh, he's got energy. Uh, he's fun. You know, I don't know how he treated you guys in the media, but, man, he knows everybody's name. These Zoom calls have been fantastic. He's held a meeting with just the broadcasters only, and then he meets with the regular media later. But uh, he answers every question. Um, he has been nothing but a bright light here. We may see the final time, probably not, for Wainwright and Molina. Their contracts are up uh, by the end of the season, and, and it could be the final time on Saturday they're together. 
I don't think that's going to be the case. We'll see. But for the Cardinals, uh, that would be, you know, for our fans, it would be what a wonderful send-off. And <clears throat> Randy mentioned the, the the pieces that were part of the championship run for the Royals. One of those pieces, Alex Gordon. So there's no fans there. Alex Gordon maybe at the end. Is, is this going to be it for him as, as we go down the final week? Well, it's interesting. Uh, the production has been, you know, he had a hot week or two, you know, but it's been very difficult for a lot of these veteran guys to perform. Um, just the timing of, the, of everything this year and how, how rough that's been. Alex Gordon is a, is a physical specimen. Uh, he's, he's been disciplined his whole life and his whole baseball career physically. So whenever you take care of your body like that, you're going to have uh, extra mileage. He's 36, but he's probably he's probably 30 years old as far as it goes body wise. Um, you know, he hasn't said anything. Last year, he waited till the very end to see if he was going to come back. The Royals signed him to a nice little fan or a uh, home friendly contract uh, for one year. Uh, I would think that that the Royals are are moving forward. Uh, they're going to move forward with their outfield. There's a couple of pieces missing out there. They need a center fielder, you know, and then, and then they're going to have to find a replacement for Alex because Alex has is, is, is had a wonderful career, um, just like Yachty and those guys, but they're moving on. I mean, they're gonna, he's not a part of their future at 36, 37 years old. So I would expect he might stay on. He might test the market next year to see if there's anybody that wants a, you know, an aging left fielder, but he's uh, he still plays a, a, a top-notch left field, but his bat a little bit, little bit behind maybe at this time. But still, uh, we haven't heard. We don't know. But it'll be a tough replacement for him. He's he's a he's an icon here in Kansas City. Finally, Rex, as you know, we lost Lou Brock a couple of weeks ago, and you were with the Cardinals, and I'm sure Lou made his way around the clubhouse when you were here. What are your strong memories of Lou Brock? Well, just the storytelling ability and the happiness, the joy in his heart. Um, there's a smile, you know, just his persona, his happiness, you know, that, that, that it comes out of people when you meet him. Um, and then, you know, the fact that he could hold court in a, in a major league locker room, anytime he walked in was just really special. I mean, you know, I, I, I like to share with fans about the, uh, when a, the opportunity of a player to change teams, whenever he changes teams, um, that's not a bad thing for the player. That's a good thing because you you, you learn your, your, your people, uh, your people skills get better. You, you learn, learn more about people. You meet people, uh, different, different uh, Hall of Famers of your team. And, and coming to, coming to uh, uh, St. Louis, uh, wow, having Bob Gibson and Lou Brock and Red Shandy sitting on the bench during games, you know, there was just a great feeling of tradition there. And, and a wonderful uh, to see, uh, to, to go on baseball reference and, and look at these guys' careers and how hard they played, and the, the, the numbers they put up is very impressive. And the modern-day players need to spend more time with individuals like that and studying their careers, and maybe they can learn and have a, more, a better appreciation of being a big leaguer and, and, and being in the same locker rooms that these great players were. I'll tell you what, there's no replacement for that. That's Rex Hudler. He was on the morning show Later in the morning, I had on my program, which is heard from 10 to 11, Scoops with Danny Mack, Joel Goldberg, who hosts the pre- and the post-game shows for the broadcasts of Kansas City Royals baseball. I asked Joel about Mike Matheny, uh, not only about the managing, but some of the other aspects of the job. I want to go a little bit further about Mike Matheny. Now, I've heard about how he went into studying analytics and did a lot of media stuff, and, and that's all well and good. But he also spent a lot of time 
of his time last year in the minor leagues. And can you get into that in terms of what he was able to do going behind the scenes, maybe traveling to the affiliates and learning more about these kids that now he's, he's getting a chance to see at the big league level. Yeah. And I think it goes both ways here, Dan, because one, these guys, um, well, first off, as you just said, he got a chance to, to see all these players. So there's no one that, that he is seeing this year that he hadn't seen before if they were in the system. And so he was able to build some of those relationships with those guys, get a feel for who they were, but also their coaches, the minor league coaches, the instructors. And, and so this wasn't starting from square one, but I think it's also the other way around too. And so when they went looking for a managerial candidate, they had a year's worth of observing him. And, you know, whether they knew that Nebios was going to be done after last year or not, he'd been there, you know, 10 years. It was nearing the end, if not last year, this year, whatever it was going to be. So the Royals organization had a great feel for Mike Matheny. And I, I can't tell you how many different coaches and instructors around, uh, around the organization that had good experiences. And, and Dave Moore, their GM, who, who I, I think operates with, with a lot of similarities uh, to a John Mozeliak, uh, and, and I know that, that Mo also has that president's role, but in terms of listening to people and, and, and getting that consensus and then ultimately making the decision, and across the board, everybody just raved about about what Matheny, uh, his presence, and just sort of the, the relationships that he built all of last year. So, you know, those guys tend to disappear, and I think by design. I mean, I, I saw Mike last year in spring training, and then I never saw him again. And I, I think he wasn't going to be the guy that was hovering over the batting cage or hovering over Ned Yost's shoulders. And uh, so I, I think it's worked out well. There's a real nice feel and a trust. And then, you know, you mentioned it too. I mean, he did go out there and work on the analytics. He, he worked on media. I mean, he's been as easy to deal with as anybody I've, I've ever dealt with. And so that's been obviously a benefit for us. How about Cal Eldred, our old buddy that pitched here yeah. and then was working on uh, our broadcast on Fox Sports Midwest. Uh, he's had his hands full too with a young pitching staff and trying to do it through a pandemic. But how is Cal holding up? Cal's holding up great, uh, I think. I mean, you know, I'm like you, like we, we have so little uh, connectivity to these guys right now, but you know, everybody loves Cal, obviously, you know that. And you know, what's interesting to me too, is when you look at, and I think this will only continue with Mike Matheny being here, but if you start to look at some of the people that are working in this organization, uh, so Cal Eldred is the pitching coach. John Mabry uh, is, is one of the coaches in the dugout. So that shouldn't be a surprise with his, connection and, and long-term relationship with Matheny. But even going back before Matheny, Reggie Sanders is an advisor to the general manager. Abraham Nunez is in the minor leagues, has been for a lot of years. Jason Sacchi is in the minor leagues. Uh, I think one of the pitching coordinators, I'm terrible with titles. Uh, and I, I know I'm missing some other guys. So, you know, they, they have certainly pulled a lot. For, uh, Jeff Supon for yep. many, many, many years has been a very respected pitching instructor at the lower le- lower levels for the Royals and probably could do anything he wants. So, uh, but, but in terms of Cal, you know, very, um, um, I mean, Cal's exactly what you would think. I mean, everybody loves Cal and he, he he's tough to pin down because he's so hardworking every day, like most pitching coaches. And, and I think it's interesting because he's got, for the most part, a really young staff that he's got the ability to mold right now. How about John Mabry's role in St. Louis? He was the hitting coach. What has been the primary role for John with Kansas City? 
kind of a little bit of everything, and he's sort of like that extra coach. You know, they get that extra coach. They don't have a an actual title like first base coach or bench coach or or, or whatever it is. But um, I know that he has done – he's essentially been the second hitting coach. So uh, these days, the way guys spend all their time in the cage, there, there's just not enough – uh, bodies to go around in terms of coaching and, and, and getting these guys ready with all the T work and cage work and everything that they're doing. So I know that you talk to any hitter from a Whit Merrifield uh, uh, to an Adalberto Mondesi and everyone in between here, they, they're always raving about Terry Bradshaw, the hitting coach who way back when played for the Cardinals and um, uh, before my time, and, and also John Mabry. They're, they're talking about how good both of those guys are all the time. Many thanks to Joel Goldberg and Rex Hudler for appearing on 101 ESPN yesterday. This is the Redbird Report. Coming up, you'll hear from Mark Saxon, a conversation this morning with Randy Carricker and myself, and I'll have a visit with Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com. This is the Redbird Report. Don't forget, Cardinals baseball coming up tonight on Fox Sports Midwest. Mark Saxon is a senior MLB writer for The Athletic, covers the Cardinals, and he's on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Big Saxy, great to have you with us. How you doing? What's up, guys? Randy, to say that the season's over in a week, how crazy I noticed, that sound. Hey, I mean, my God. God, it just seems like it just started, doesn't hey, it? Hey, Saxy, Saxy, hold on. I noticed yeah. that Randy said that too, and that means that Randy thinks that the Cardinal season is over. I guess so. It's over. Is well, that what you're saying, for Randy? You, it will be. Randy. Well, I mean, come on, Randy, come on. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, traversing the end of Dan's portion of the season. Now that sounds better. Okay, <laughs> I'm all right with that. Sorry, Randy. I, go ahead, Randy. I'm sorry. Uh, it's uh, Mark, you're exactly right. It's amazing how fast this has gone. And w- the baseball season always goes fast, but man, when it's only two months, it feels like the Cardinals opened up against Pittsburgh like last week. Yeah, I know it does. And, um, you know, now that we've exposed you as a traitor, Randy, I think we can. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does. And I think probably part of it was the outbreak in early August, you know, three weeks shut down. And then. You know, the Cardinal season was even more condensed than everybody else's, so they really forget about those five games before it. Like, they've played, what, like the whole season in five weeks or something? I mean, that is nuts. And I do think, guys, and I think you'll agree with me on this, you do have to give these guys some credit to be two games over five hundred, given the, the what they were rolling out there, you know, during the outbreak and given what they've dealt with with the schedule. You know, we, we heard John Mosellock yesterday say that fatigue is involved. I think people can kind of take that the wrong way. Fatigue in baseball isn't always just, oh, boy, I'm just so tired from all this running I've doing, I'm doing. It's, it's the accumulation of little aches and pains. Like you get hit by a pitch, and then you got to play a doubleheader the next day. Or you slide into second base, and you get spiked. Or, you know, your, your, your muscle cramps up. You don't have any days, you know, just to sit back and let that muscle heal. So I think... That's really what they're talking about in baseball a lot of times. What are you expecting out of Carlos Martinez tonight, Saxy? This is a big start for him. Yeah, I would say, for me, what I've seen from Carlos has been better than the numbers say. And over time, that really isn't the case because these things even out. But it's been few enough starts where I think you can still say that. Um, he, you know, he needs to avoid, obviously, the, the big inning which sometimes can be what, what gets him if, if he'll give up a three spot or something. But I, I do think he's just absolutely crucial to what they're trying to do because, you know, you think about 
they're probably going to get into the postseason, barring a real bad, you know, finish here. I do think they'll probably make it. Um, and you think about the value he could bring in that kind of series, whether he's one of the three guys you choose to start or he's a guy who could be the first guy out of the pen to give you two, two plus innings. He's just a high, high stuff guy, right? A, a very talented pitcher who I think if they get him right, that that's a big X factor. How do you approach using Dylan Carlson tonight and throughout the course of the weekend against Milwaukee? Do you, do you move his spot in the lineup? Yeah, I well, potentially, I, but I think the operative thing here, the key thing for is I play him as much as you possibly can. I just want to see what he can do. And he did get that reset, and he looks like a different guy. And the skill set is just so – I mean, we've talked about this a, a few times, but the skill set is, is just different from what you get out of any of those guys. Did you guys see him running on that triple? He's much faster than he looks. He's a really good defender, and we saw him make that great catch the other night, but it wasn't the first. Um, And I do think with the switch hitting ability and the gap power, he's just a really intriguing player. And we've seen this this team scuffle to score runs with, with the main guys. I just think he gives them a different dimension. And if he can be the guy everyone thinks he's going to be eventually starting now, I want that as much as possible, and I want to also evaluate him again for that possible postseason uh, series you'd be facing. Been talking about it a lot, uh, Yachty and Wayno. Their final time potentially could be Saturday as battery mates in St. Louis. I don't think that's going to be the case, Mark. Uh, what do you think? I don't think so either, Danny. I I can't see Adam Wainwright, given the competitor he is, kind of going out pitching this well. I, I just think a lot of guys, when it comes down to it, just will miss that one, one-to-one man versus man, whatever you want to call it, competition of pitching. And the way he's pitching right now, I just think, you know, why wouldn't he wait until somebody, you know, peels that jersey off of him, right, until he can't do it anymore? And with Yachty, they've already signaled, you know, that they want to bring him back, so that's the direction I think they're going. It's just a matter of kind of finding the right – whether it's number of years, I actually don't think that'll be the the problem. It might just come down to money, but I, I don't think it'll it'll be something that'll be a problem to get done. So, but you know, if for some strange confluence of facts, if the Cardinals decide Wayno isn't one of their starters next year and he has to go somewhere else, that could be the case. And again, it snuck up on us. You know, it, if you think about the last guy, iconic player to go out like this, it was Matt Holiday, which kind of got scripted perfectly with him coming back and hitting that home run. Um, let's let's hope that this one is kind of similar. Mark, you had an interesting piece at The Athletic, and it's up now. You put it up yesterday about whether the Cardinals should have considered tanking to improve their offense. And the answer with what the Cardinals do is pretty clear. But how do you think they do fix the offense in the offseason? Do they do the Cardinals go into free agency or do they try to make a deal or do they try to count on Carlson turning into what they think he's going to be? Yeah, it's a great question. And that was kind of a provocative headline. It really the story was about what you just mentioned. How do you add power, which Adding, you know, power is an expensive commodity, right? And, and if you look at the offense, it's really the the only dynamic they've lacked this season. On base percentage, much better than the other teams in their division, which is who you have to compare them with because they're facing the same pitching this year. Um, but the slugging is really, really down. And you know, if you look at Dylan Carlson's minor league sort of resume, 
it's not a huge power profile to me. It's a guy who's going to hit, you know, really good overall player, as we mentioned, going to hit 20-something, a lot of doubles. But I don't think he's a 40-home run guy. I don't think he's a 35-home run guy eventually. And so they do still need to be in that market, I think. And we, we didn't see them have a great appetite to spend last offseason. So would they this year? I, I don't see any indication of that. And, and therefore, it becomes most likely via the trade route. And that's how they've done it with Paul Goldschmidt. It's how they did it with Marcelo Zuna. Um, but they've given up some good pitchers in, in those deals, including Sandy Alcantara and Zach Gallen, two of the most exciting young pitchers in the game. So it's a tough one. Um, ideally, I think Nolan Gorman would be that guy, but is he a year away? Is he three years away? Big mystery there. So it's, it's a big open question. And, uh, to be self-serving here, I would encourage everyone to go, uh, subscribe to the athletic and read that piece. Yeah, that's Mark, great. Um, you know, where is the, the Cardinals offense in 2020 when you, when you saw the game last night, kind of a microcosm of, of what we see a lot, you know, seven walks, but yet three for 13 with runners in scoring position. In terms of what you or how you would define the, the Cardinal offense, what what would you say? Yeah, it's really that slugging piece, right? It's hitting doubles and home runs. Um, in that Pittsburgh game, Danny also was a microcosm because they got no hit by, let's be honest, a guy who over the course of his career has been kind of a mediocre starter. Then a reliever comes in, walks a bunch of dudes, and they get a rally going. You know, Tyler O'Neill, of course, had that big hit. But they haven't had a lot of those big hits, and they haven't had that instant offense that you get when somebody jacks a two-run or three-run home run. And so it's kind of an uphill fight for this team. And, and I think this last week you'll see them just really trying to scrap and get that extra run that they need. Now, the good news for them is Milwaukee hasn't hit it all either. Um, and so they're the team they're facing for those last five and so that'll, you know, that'll kind of be, you know, more of what we've seen. But I, I do wonder what it'll look like if they face the Padres or if they really slip here, if they face the Dodgers of the first round, who are just very difficult to, teams to keep from putting up crooked numbers eventually. And, and that's, I think, the question. Would, how, how would they match up with a team like that? Mark Saxon, always great stuff. And we do advise people to subscribe to The Athletic and read your great work there. Always good to have you with us. Thank you, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, gentlemen. Talk to you soon. It is a Wednesday, and that means it's a chance to visit with Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com. We do this every Wednesday. The Cardinals coming off, well, let's just say it, a much-needed victory last night in Kansas City, 5 to nothing over the Royals. And you can read about the coverage, all the moves, and what's happening. There is some news in the minor leagues that we'll get to with Brian Walton at thecardinalnation.com. As always, Brian, good morning to you, and uh, thanks for doing this every single Wednesday. How are things going? Hey, it's a lot more fun to talk after the Cardinals have a big win, and uh, you know, having it be on uh, Negro League's uh, centennial night was even better. That was cool, wasn't it? I enjoyed it. Yeah, it really was. And uh, you know, Bob Kendrick is such a wealth of information, and you know, I just, I just wish all the cutouts behind uh, home plate somehow. And I know it's not practical. But I wish it could be labeled somehow because, you know, I find all those faces really interesting. But, you know, most of them don't know who they are. Yeah, I do, too. I was wondering the same thing. Uh, I, I was wondering, too. I was watching uh, Aldoberto Mondesi at shortstop. And all those years ago for the 45 Monarchs, 
At shortstop was one Jackie Robinson. And just thinking about, you know, the history of those teams as opposed to what we're seeing now and, uh, you know, the job that Bob has done at bringing in the major league players of now to make sure they have a great understanding of what the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum is all about and what those players are all about from back then. And I, and I mean, a middle note, I've been, it's been a decade since I've been there. I think the museum's been open now, like 30 years, something like that. But, you know, I've got to make sure to go out of my way to get back there. Yeah, it's it's an amazing place. Um, let's jump in. There's a lot of topics to get to. Uh, Austin Gomber, I thought, was sensational last night. His pitch count was going to be roughly in that 70 to 80 range. He was right in the middle and was very efficient in doing so, getting through six innings. I thought he was terrific last night. He gave uh, Adam Wainwright credit for that because he talked to Adam uh, about his last start, and Adam said that he had a goal to pitch 12 pitches or less per inning. And other than the first inning where Gomber's still kind of settling down, he said he did that. And he said that really helped him to, to focus. Of course, getting the lead helped as well. But he, he said that his changeup was working tonight better than usual, and that caused a lot of ground balls, much more than usual. You know, Gomber's typically more of a fly ball pitcher. But, you know, by getting all those ground balls, he was able to get outs more quickly. And, you know, the fact that he well, – I don't think anybody, you know, would have expected that he'd be able to pitch six innings to shut out ball. But, boy, it really came at a good time for the Cardinals. Yeah, another key last night, Dylan Carlson and making adjustments on the off-speed pitches, which has been talked about time and again and last night, I thought it was the best, most comfortable we've seen him since he's been up with the Cardinals. Well, that and that, you know, that double was was so important. I mean, Singer had walked two guys. The count was two and zero, oh, and you know, I found myself sitting there wondering, okay, is Dylan just going to be passive and, and take these pitches and hope to get a walk and keep the inning going? But you know, he he put a good swing on the on the off speed pitch on two and zero, and and that double was just so important to to set the momentum for the game and for the Cardinals to finally get out ahead and, you know, be able to breathe a little bit because, you know, it seems like all these games, you know, going back to the Pittsburgh series, you know, they're just one run, seems like one run, you know, or two runs either way, and they could never really, uh, you know, get into a groove like they got into last night. I've been saying since day one, I think ultimately I, as I watch him, I project him as a right fielder, but then as I've watched him more and more, I could see him in center. I can see him in left. I don't know if there is a dominant defensive position for him because anywhere I watch him, even though he's had his struggles at the plate, you know what, Brian? He's done a he's done a really good job defensively. That has not been curtailed. His defense has been outstanding. And that that shows his maturity, right? I mean, we you've seen a lot of guys over the years, Dan, I'm sure that are having trouble at the plate and it carries over to other parts of their game, whether it be defense or base running or both. And, you know, Carlson has that maturity that, uh, you know, his defense has certainly has been a positive. And, and you look for, you know, forward to next year, you say, well, you know, obviously Dexter Fowler is going to be back. Um, and I don't think it's any, you know, uh, secret that the Cardinals need offensive help. And the most likely place for them to, to do is to go out and get, a, a, get an outfielder. And that could be somebody to play left and that would leave center open for uh, Dylan to, you know, compete with Harrison Bader. But, you know, it, it certainly there's no reason why Dylan Carlson couldn't play center field regularly for the Cardinals. He, he's not, you know, he's not a Bader uh, in the outfield, but there's no doubt about who has the more superior uh, offensive game. We're starting to see the back end of the bullpen. It's taken all the way maybe to the final week to get finally healthy, but you've got Giovanni Gallegos in the back end. Wasn't overly sharp a couple of nights ago. John Gant finally healthy as well, dealt with the groin issue. Andrew Miller, I think he gets better when you pitch him more and more and more. Just the case, it's just the way it's been, and this is his time of year. He's great in postseason play. Uh, and these are like playoff games 
for the club. Alex Reyes, Henesis Cabrera, um, Ryan Helsley. This is where the Cardinals could separate themselves from other from other teams. How do you see the bullpen kind of shaping up as I mentioned how it's lining up in the back end of games? You know, it's interesting, Dan, because with the activation of Cody Whitley uh, yesterday. Yeah, that's another one. The, yeah, it's the first. It's the first time since the COVID outbreak, August fourth, that they have had a completely healthy pitching staff. Now, you know, that's obviously excluding Michaelis and Hudson and Brevia and Hicks, and but the point is, you know, there's no pitchers now you know, on the injured list that are going to come back this year. The guys are all there, and I think the most one of the the most exciting things to me is that the number of guys in that bullpen that came up through the Cardinal system, you know, it, these aren't just guys that are picked up off the scrap heap that you don't know what you're going to get from them. Cause we, you know, of course we've seen those kind of guys in the past, you know, these guys are guys that a lot of them who have, have grown up through the system and are now, you know, getting their first extended opportunity to contribute and, you know, almost to a man they're coming through. I'm excited about Whitley. I did not hear a lot about him at the alternate camp, um, do you know what his issue was and why it took him so long to get back? Any idea? Yeah. Yeah. They, they left him on the COVID IL cause they were able to, I guess, but he had, he had experienced some type of elbow soreness when he was ramping back up. So they sent him back down to Springfield and they had him, you know, looked at in St. Louis, they sent him back down. Uh, and it just took him a little longer than everybody else, uh, to get ready. Uh, but you know, again, you know, he's the last one now. So the, you know, the days of the, Hopefully the days of the use of the COVID IL by the Cardinals are, are done this year. And baseball, to baseball's credit, you know, I was critical early on. I got to say, baseball has done a really good job uh, in their protocols, and the players have been serious, and, and the coaches and everybody, you know, managing to it to the point where, you know, hopefully they can handle all the movement that's going to be involved in the postseason and, you know, continue this nice stretch of being able to play games in an un, uh, uninterrupted manner. Yeah, absolutely. Brian Walton of the Cardinal Nation, my guest every Wednesday. I want to go back to Alex Reyes. Um, we're seeing the maturation process of Alex. He's finally healthy. I'm noticing in his delivery, he's not cutting it off. He's been consistently just about every time out. You'll see him hit 98, 99, 100. Where do you think his future lies right now with the St. Louis Cardinals? You know, I'm thinking a lot about Alex Reyes like, Carlos Martinez this time last year, uh, Carlos and Alex has, has said consistently, I'm a starting pitcher and he has, I mean, you know, better than I, he has four pitches that he can throw for strikes. When Alex Reyes is on, you know, he is still a dominating pitcher, a guy that was a you know top prospect in baseball for four years in a row. It's just a matter of whether he has the health and when he has the health, then he has the confidence once he gets enough repetition that he can, you know, hone his offerings. And so, you know, we're seeing Alex Reyes come into his own. You know, we don't know what's going to happen in terms of, you know, the rotation and trades and, and other things that might happen in the offseason. But I guarantee you, Alex Reyes will definitely talk to, to Mike Schilt and John Mosaic and say, hey, I'd like a chance to start next year. And, you know, if he finishes this year strongly, you know, when you have Jordan Hicks back and you've got Cabrera and the other, you know, uh, and Miller's going to be back, we know now because his contract is vested, and Gallegos, you know, it might be that uh, – that, uh, a, a better place it might be for Alex Reyes to start next year. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Um, the Cardinals will return home tonight, and basically they essentially go to hotel rooms. Uh, we start the bubble, don't we, starting tonight? Yes, and it's it's interesting. You know, Major League Baseball has determined that this is the best way to, you know, keep everybody separated and, and ready for the postseason. But the, the twist that's in place for the Cardinals, uh, possibly, that, other teams won't have to deal with is this potential for a doubleheader against Detroit uh, next Monday. If those games 
uh, matter in terms of either qualification in the playoffs or uh, a home seed versus an away seed, the top four seeds in the league versus the bottom four. So, you know, it could be that even though the Cardinals are in their bubble in St. Louis, they're going to have to take their bubble to Detroit for one day before they, you know, go to wherever uh, their first round uh, their wild card series is going to be. So let's explain this, how this works. If they are to play in Detroit, essentially, if they are not in the one through four seating, it wouldn't really matter. If it comes down to beyond that, then – or I'm sorry, one through four, it does matter. If it's beyond that, then it's going to go down to winning percentage. That's that's right, Dan. First of all, if a postseason position is to be determined by the game games, then the games will be played. So let's say the Cardinals are just hanging on there, the number eight seed or the number seven seed, and they need those wins to – or the number nine seed, and they just, need those just to, to get solidify in. their yeah. playoff position. Right. Just and then the in. other reason yeah. the games could be played is whether to determine whether they're in the top four in the league or the bottom four, because the top four playoff participants get to play the wild card series games at home, and the numbers five through eight have to play on the road. But if it's if it's just the difference between the Cardinals being seated fifth or sixth or seventh, then they won't they won't play the games. They'll just use percentage. Gotcha. Um, by the way, I think it's going to wind up being they play on Monday. It's just 2020, Brian. It's just the way things have gone, you know? You know, you know, I, I think you're probably right, Dan. And, you know, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be justice for them to, to, no kidding. Get, to play, get to play one more series in Chicago? <laughs> no kidding. Um, let's also talk about some of the things that are happening because baseball's got to look beyond the next month, which is – you know what? You're going to have business. You got the general managers' meetings; those have been canceled. What do you have with winter meetings? We don't know. Then you have the Arizona Fall League. You got instructional camps. You got all those things. So, what are some of the things that you're hearing in terms of what may happen on the field with some of these young players? Well, the Arizona Fall League normally is is held. In fact, to be going right now, in September, October, into early November. Uh, and it's typically for the top level of prospects in a system. And uh, baseball's decided not to play the Arizona Fall League this year. Normally, every organization would send seven or eight prospects, typically from AAA and AA. And that doesn't hurt as bad because those are typically the guys who were already in Springfield alternate camp anyway. You know, the Montero types, the Herrera types, uh, who, you know, who are close to the major leagues but not quite ready yet. Now, instructional camp... Uh, Major League Baseball left it to each organization to decide if they want to play. And interestingly enough, all of the organizations that trained in Arizona got together and said, you know, we want to have Instructional League, and they actually will be having uh, Instructional League next month, and they'll be playing games against each other, up to 40 games of experience. And the players in Instructional League are typically the younger guys, the guys who were just drafted that year, the guys who are maybe looking to jump from short season ball to, to full season ball. And unfortunately, it doesn't look like the Cardinals are going to be able to have Instructional League this fall. They had it way back in January, but and, and maybe they'll have it in January 2021. But right now, it doesn't appear that they have the funding this year to be able to have Instructional Camp. And so that means they're going to have to work a little extra hard in the, in the spring. I wonder if those players will be to the major league protocols, testing and that kind of thing for those that are going to do it in Arizona. Have you heard? Yeah, yeah, good question. I, I'm sure that they will have they'll have the organizations follow the procedures probably, you know, not unlike they were doing in the alternate camps, which is sort of a mini version of, you know, what they were doing in the majors. I'll wrap it up with this. Couple of things uh, before I let you go. Number one, you think the Cardinals make the playoffs? 
I do, Dan. I think, and I pretty much thought it all along. I mean, there have been some peaks and valleys, but you know, the valleys have been relatively short. And you know, until this last time around, it usually was Adam Wainwright that you know pitched the big game. Uh, this time it was really Austin Gomber, which was nice to see because you know they're going to need other guys to contribute. But yes, I think the Cardinals will will make the playoffs. And like I said, I, I I'm kind of rooting for another series against the Cubs to tell you the truth because I I think the Cubs can be had. I do too. Um, as long as you're not facing Cal Hendricks or you, Darvish. <laughs> Or, well, whatever. We'll get there first. And then secondly, uh, what are you working on? I always tell fans, go to thecardinalnation.com. You've got unbelievable um, stuff, not only on the minor leagues and and young players, but on what's happening with the major leagues. So what's happening at thecardinalnation.com? Well, uh, in the last few days, I posted a detailed article talking about how when the uh, alternate camp in Springfield ended, uh, they changed the rules regarding which players would continue to participate and which ones got sent home. And, and basically it's the guys who are left on the 40-man roster who have been in St. Louis this year at some point uh, are in St. Louis. There's a handful of them, maybe six, eight, depending on who's on the taxi squad at time, that are still going to be available potentially to um, to join the team if necessary, either in the final week of the season here or in the playoffs. Uh, then also have a story up for readers that the Cardinals had some extra international spending money that they weren't going to use, and so they traded that to Pittsburgh and, and brought in a left-hander from AA, uh, who, uh, Domingo Robles, who, you know, has some, uh, has some inter- looks like kind of an interesting guy. So, uh, you know, we're always going into detail about whatever minor league news we have, as well as our daily recaps of the major league games and, I break down uh, all the transactions and the implications of them. Brian, great stuff. Thank you, as always. We'll uh, catch you up next Wednesday, and hopefully we're talking a little playoff baseball by then. Thanks as much. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Thanks so much. I appreciate it.